0: Genefano, welcome back to When Lambs Are Signed, the podcast. You are back with Aaron and Dale. And yeah, welcome back to the show. So, we're sort of getting through our What If series. We're almost at the end now. And this episode is actually the very first episode that we recorded. So, please bear with us. We had some technical difficulties <laughs> and um, so you might hear that in there we've done our, our best to sort of mitigate that so I mean hopefully you still enjoy it there's definitely some really awesome stuff that Jackie says in the show and she'll tell you a bit more about herself pretty soon also because this was recorded quite early on into the lockdown that is mentioned in the episode as well anyway should we get into it though?
1: yep let's go Cool. Take my time this engine The
0: closer I get, the further away I feel Kia ora. well welcome to When Lambs Are Silent the Podcast. You're here with Aaron. And today we've got a really special guest. We've got Jackie Paul, who's a landscape architect for and lecturer for Unitech. So I mean i am not Jackie for how long we known each other, Jackie? well I don't know, every year, a couple of years now. Mm. Yeah, I think when I first really became aware of Hijaki was actually when we were at Manaki Rangatahi, our big hui that we had. So the last year Manaki Rangatahi is um, collective to end youth homelessness. And I just remember you standing up <laughs> when we are having question and answer with the ministers and just releasing your fire, saying hey, like, this is not good enough and this is where we need to go. I just, man, I've got so much respect for that, for your passion and for your desire to see change and um, transformation for our communities. So it's been awesome working with you, but it's really exciting to have you on the show today. Would Would you like to just introduce yourself to our audience a little bit about, you know, who you are, where you've come from, and I guess, what's got you in this space?
2: Tēnā ratatou katoa. Hiroonga tika nunu kere tōngo me ngā apu. He kāi mahiranga hau Māori me ngā kai hoa hoa whenoa ki te whare wānanga o Wairaka. Ingari, i noho ana au ki papakura, ai. Uh, so, kia ora, So am Te Thanks for having me. Obviously, very strong tribal affiliations across the country. Uh, so, on my father's side, I whakapapa or have ancestral ties ta- to the Taito Apunapuhi, uh, over in Maturi Bay. Uh, and on my mother's side, She's uh, of Ngati Ka from down in Hastings and Ngati Tūwhare in Taupo. Uh, but currently living um, in Papakura, South Auckland, Tamaki Makaurau. So really just here to kind of have a all about where, well, what I'm up to uh, in terms of the work that we do uh, and hopefully just have a conversation around some of the transformation that we're trying to look at. So yeah, as you mentioned uh, Landscape Architect and uh, lecturer and researcher over at uh, Unitec Te Whari O Wairaka, uh, and so, solely based in the Ngā Waiatatui uh, Māori and Indigenous Research Centre. So, yeah, majority of my work is in the housing and urban development space uh, with a strong focus on uh, whānu Māori communities, Iwi hapu, uh, mea So, yeah, kia ora and thanks for having me today.
0: Nah, great. Where do you start. want to begin? Yeah, well, why don't we start with that, landscape architect? Like, what is it that you do? What are you about?
2: Yeah I guess so I grew up kind of always seeing this you know poverty around me uh, specifically within my whanau and wanted to pursue a career in architecture actually so that I began uh, an architecture school and then I transitioned and specialised in landscape architecture Uh, and essentially a lot of people don't know (laughs) what landscape architecture is Uh, and it is quite broad but uh, you know it can be really founded on the connection between people and the land, essentially, uh, mm. and that relationship through all things. So it's from, you know, environmental science to understanding our forests, to our rivers, uh, understanding uh, to uh, people, identity and place.
0: Awesome. And like, I've heard you talked about landscape architecture before in terms of, like, how it can be used to address, like, housing inequality and um, injustice. Like, yeah, do you want to talk about So that like how does that work
2: yeah i guess from a teo maori kind of worldview and concept of understanding the relationship between people and place to land and our identity and that kind of holistic notion uh so what does that mean and how does that inform what we do uh, in place and design so for example it might be through the natural and built uh, environment, how might you convey those concepts and that connection through uh, a manifestation of form. Uh, and so, for example, uh, it might be a structure. It could be structure, it could be marakai, uh, about food sovereignty and how that supports the families and communities. Uh, and so it might be about, you know, where you fish, you know, the health and life of that awa or river and how that supports the needs of people. So those kind of correlations, um, That's essentially
0: the foundation of landscape architecture. Oh, cool. Awesome. Yeah, so, like, I, I guess, like, this series, we're talking about, like, what if, at the moment, we're in lockdown, right? Day 12, I think, of the pandemic. And, and we were talking just before the show started about how, like, with all the hard stuff that's going on, there's also been this, I guess, reorientation of values. We've seen um, people being housed at a rate that we've never seen before, being people getting fed. We're seeing across the nation, the country, the city, where we are like a creative energy to figure out how we actually deal and solve a lot of these issues that you know we've been fighting for for generations right i, I know you know as we we talked like there's that frustration with like why did it take a pandemic but also like how do we make this sustainable like <coughs> the problems that we're facing and how can we actually dream about a future where like it doesn't take a pandemic to put people at the center
2: Yeah, I think there's an opportunity to kind of go back to the knowledge systems that, you know, were embedded within the social and cultural fabric of society in Aotearoa, New Zealand, Uh, and especially from a te Māori kind of context and the, you know, the need for them embedding practices uh, back into place so i just want to talk about um, some of the existing systems western systems that do not serve our people uh, and around some of the policies that might continue to call uh, and reveal inequities really Uh, so for example for us in the city we're really reliant on supermarkets and we don't have a lot of fertile soils to grow kai, uh, compared to a lot of rural communities who do have access to that, are probably more sustainable, you know, so these types of spatial inequalities as well is really
0: evident. Mm. Awesome. So, like, how would you, like, if you think about, like, that, I mean, that's a great example, like, around the supermarkets and how we access kai and tamaki, like, how would you remake or rebuild our city to be able to address that inequality?
2: Yeah, I guess like one initial approach, especially from a climate responsive perspective around protecting our fertile soils within the urban kind of realm, Uh, Mm. you know, urban farms has become this, you know, kind of new thing uh, around rooftops, utilising other spaces to be able to grow kai so that we kind of are able to exercise food sovereignty or have access to these types of things where it's not necessarily always reliant on. Other currency, where food becomes currency. So I really like that as a system uh, in the way in which we design. But on even on a larger scale, the way in which we master plan, trying to put that at the forefront, where it's not focused on cars, you know, car parks and dominated uh, spaces, where they're more friendly and you know these types of productive landscapes are woven, where we look after our rivers so that the health and you know well-being of that is, or the ma- the of the of the water is retained and replenished so these types of ecosystems that are here <laughs> again like the discussion we had earlier on that kind of shift in minds and hearts so that our mm. practices start starting to shift and change so and that will be able to contribute to the health and well-being of our people
0: yeah so i mean a lot of what you're saying it sounds so practical right like you know kai on roofs like making sure that there's those livable spaces like so what's what's stopping that from occurring right now i mean we're seeing houses go up like fast as throughout the city um, and I know that's happening throughout Aotearoa in different spaces as well so like why isn't it that we're thinking about this or why doesn't that seem to be happening like what's the block? Yeah
2: continue to exercise and use the same knowledge systems which can also come back to an education kind of issue around what is taught uh, between, you know, indigenous knowledge and Western systems and these kinds Mm. of things. So that type of knowledge will continue to inform practitioners who continue to to design which we see our cities um, grow and build today, uh, which is why we're trying to shift from building houses to building homes and the holistic Mm. notion of how you connect communities and those social aspects. And what does that mean? And what does that look like? Mm. uh, And right now, you know, I've never seen so many people walking and cycling and using the green spaces, they literally have to stay home and only have access to, to these types of spaces compared to people in apartments who probably don't have that luxury. So there's mm. all these kind of um, interesting kind of things at the moment as we continue to emerge and unfold. That's it's really mm. interesting to observe. So if this doesn't work, you know, in, a, in an apartment, you're probably more subject to COVID-19 because the amount of people within dead city mm. compared to a rural community. So for us to think about, you know, sustainable communities mean in terms of the times now within a pandemic what does that mean what does that look like and how do we continue to protect our people so that they're not more of a risk because of the kind of marginalization and spatial inequities
0: Mm. so what do we do there because um you know you say like it's these old like ways of thinking and and I think a lot of them you probably say are sort of Western frameworks which have become too dominant right Um, like how do we shift that how do we start to push I guess, more indigenous knowledge into these spaces so it actually gets raised up to a level where it's taken seriously and we actually start to, we well, you know when we're doing this planning for our for our cities and for our country, like, it gets pushed to the forefront. Like, what needs to happen? Yeah,
2: so if I use an example around overcrowding, specifically for, because of Māori and are uh, subject to more uh, overcrowding kind of conditions uh, so mm-hmm. they live within homes because of the, all the other complex issues around unaffordability etc cetera, etc cetera. and you know we, we design and develop homes that are only for the nuclear family compared to those who are you know multi and intergenerational living in the space so you know three three bedrooms, typical nuclear home compared to, you know, five, six, or the opportunity for different types of houses to accommodate their needs where they're still within close proximity to each other and still be able to support each other and have retain that kind of whānau social aspect. Uh, so that's kind of a complex system just within that stuff. On a larger scale, we continue to master plan like that where we don't seek opportunities For example, within Papakainga, you all live in your own dwellings, you know, in your whānau and and have homes that support and accommodate the needs of that whānau. So that type of village style as well is is still not integrated within the kind of urban fabric, especially here in Tamaki. But there's a lot of opportunities in that, uh, especially in, you know, uh, Māori land for those who do have that. How might we be able to resource and support those whānau who potentially can't afford to live in the cities but are migrating back home to live on their own kind? So there's all these kind of dynamics in the way in which we grow and develop and design communities, but something really needs to shift in terms of this typical style of subdivisions and Mm. how we might be able to um, create more equitable spaces because it could literally be um, you know, again, around exercising those rights, basic human rights, to having um, safe and secure, affordable yeah. homes. So, mm. again, one end of the spectrum to the other, um, there's a lot of uh, inequalities being revealed uh, during mm. this time.
0: Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Like, housing is a basic human right. I mean, if you look at the way housing seems to be operating in Aotearoa, it's a common commodity, right? It's a way for you know, me to get on the property ladder, build wealth for my whanau, that sort of thing. What does that mean as opposed to housing as a basic human right?
2: Yeah, I guess it's always this kind of thing around it being looking good on paper, but nothing being delivered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what we're seeing. And and whether people take that seriously, it, it really depends. And I don't think, you know, in Aotearoa and New Zealand, as we continue to see the rise of, uh, inequities around you know youth homelessness for example and children struggling in poverty uh, you know are they do they actually have um, access to safe and affordable homes right now no um, and that's not the reality and that's why we continue to do the work that we do uh, and advocate for change because no child should grow up in Aotearoa, New Zealand, a first world country in these types of conditions uh, and how can we continue to expect young people to thrive um, when they don't have kai on their table, where they're hungry at school uh, and so it's all these types of things that we think about in their much larger complex ecosystem.
0: Mm, yeah. Um, you talk about, like, I guess some of the challenges around, okay, why it's so hard to, to get housing in Aotearoa and in an article you did for the Newsroom, Cameron remember what it was titled, you talked about, like, it being affordability crisis. The affordability crisis results from a property-led wealth model designed to push prices up. Do you think you can speak to that a little bit? And some of the examples you give for things we can do to address this is, like, a capital gains tax, boosting building capacity, supporting Maori and led initiatives around housing like yeah can you speak to a bit of that Ka-Papa, and how that um how that works and how that could maybe help us to shift the housing crisis which we seem to just continue to spiral into
2: i guess i'll speak specifically perhaps to that kind of up or that piece of work from a very Māori-centric kind of perspective. Uh, And I have a lot of issues around this kind of notion of affordability uh, and what that means. And I understand Mm -hmm. that it is still currently going through, you know, definition of what it means within New Zealand and what does that look like? Uh, Because that can mean so many different things and we know how complex the system works yeah uh, but what does this mean for maori uh, i have a real issue around yeah. how some of these measurements uh, and what that means uh, so for example uh, just to simplify uh, perhaps for our household income within auckland is about a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> uh yeah. and that's what measured as affordable Mm-hmm. Uh, within this place in terms of understanding so because that measure is so high compared to uh Maori household incomes, probably half of that we're going to continue to be marginalized within that kind of spectrum so you know eight times over our <laughs> income debt within this space so it's just not practical for some of these um, families and especially not for Maori uh, so we will see home ownership decline and homelessness rates increase because it's just too expensive and too affordable a lot of our sides are trying to survive right now and a lot of us will become renters for perhaps lifetimes and so until we kind of address those types of equity issues around affordability uh, and developing pathways for maori to get into uh, home ownership uh, you know there are equity models like a rent renter own and rent to buy that are successful but until those are kind of normalized within the processes and how we develop and grow and build communities, uh, we continue to be at the bottom of the ladder. So, yeah, it's such a complex system and specifically to that coppa yeah. it, it will continue to be a commodity and there'll be no you know, redistribution of wealth. And those who do have assets will continue to make a lot of money.
0: Yeah. Is there like, what, I mean, if we were to like begin shifting that, and I know this is going to take a lot of money, and, and it's been going on for a while, like what would be the one thing that we could do to start shifting Even as a community, our view of you know housing as a commodity to a to a right.
2: Yeah, I guess there's perhaps first model that would work is around the shared equity models, Uh, and that's a really great model. It's too low. We need at least living wages across across the board and I'm sure it'll consider raise. But it's just all these, you know, complex layers if you've just got, you know, just trying to get by, you know, you cannot be spending um, over fifty percent of your income on rent. It's just not affordable. So that mm-hmm. within itself, between that Thirty, perhaps twenty-five uh, percent only. If there's a cap on that, that would be great. But that's you know, that kind of aspirations. Uh, we mm. would be able to start controlling that. So a lot of work across the board. Um, but it's these types of things that perhaps would have an input. Mm.
0: What do you think about the capital gains tax? There's a lot of like debate and discussion. People saying that it's you know the silver bullet that's going to save the housing crisis. To others saying it's the worst thing we could do. What's your view on that?
2: Yeah, I guess. Um, I personally was disappointed, you know, that it didn't go through and that there, you know, for us to be one of the only countries in the world without capital gains tax and that it is still a commodity within this country is just, I find it really ridiculous. Mm. Why should people be able to profit, you know, and there's no... Return into the communities as well Potentially with with that tax and some of that So, you know, they continue to build Wealth and the intergenerational Wealth for them and their families There's lack of redistribution of that And we will continue to be marginalised as a people Uh, It's ridiculous as well That many people have More than two homes. That's probably enough for me, but the fact that you're able to own a lot and just sit on the rough is just crazy while we continue to have children and young people living in vans and on the streets. So, Mm. again, an inequitable society at the forefront.
0: Yeah. It sort of reminds me of, um, and we were talking about this before as well, Luther King spoke about the need for a transformation of values in in, this, in society, and he was speaking to that in his day, and I think there's something for us here today. We talked about how, at the moment, we're seeing like a, a new priority put on human life, where we're seeing people housed at a rate we've never seen before, we're seeing people fed in a way that you know we've never seen before you know there's this creative imagination that actually oh the most important thing is that people are safe right now right yet you know we talked about what did it take a pandemic to get to this point when we've had a pandemic of poverty for generations and we haven't had the same energy and the same creative imagination and so what's it going to take for Aotearoa to get that creative imagination and to get that transformation of values to say actually it is whānau that's more important than you know anything else, you know? To get the mahi done
2: Yeah I think at a high level I've always kind of envisioned this Human rights based And te based approach to addressing housing uh, Within Aotearoa Specifically at a high level Uh, On the other end you know I would love to see hapuranga tiratanga continue to be exercised, so tribal sovereignty, you know, self-determination mana motuhake, because you know, we're seeing the successes of those who are able to protect their communities by uh, you know, the blockades there uh, and reducing the spread. They have the methods, they just need the resources and support to continue to work together uh, collectively to respond, for example to the pandemic and protect their own people so, you know, there's these grassroots levels and, and, and approaches that can be undertaken and supported, but there's also these high Level approaches that need to be shifted but again it is around those values but sometimes even that can be problematic because it's becoming so normalized that everyone has their flash Maori values on their websites and in their business plans but I don't actually exercise them, you know, and practice okay. them uh, which is always problematic sometimes by several uh, institutions so until we continue to, you know, develop a movement and mobilize our people, that's where the real shift is. Again, we're talking about people, you know, that's mm. where the the changes, uh, when we need to see it. Uh, and it might be something simple as kindness and understanding us as human, mm. that's you know mm. planting those seeds. But until we build that movement and continue to educate people on the importance and understand the realities of the society we continue to live in, it's not gonna be change anytime soon, but there's always those long- long-term goals we need to think about uh, as mm. a nation.
0: Yeah, kia ora. And in about that, like mobilizing people and creating that movement, I've been reflecting on this recently is um, like even thinking about the climate marches where we had a lot of rangatahi sort of standing up and saying like, this is the change we need to see. Yet also reflecting that there's a group of rangatahi and, and Māori in our society who actually are just so, like they're just trying to survive, right? You know, the rangatahi that I work with and, and, and serve daily, they, they just want to know where they're going to sleep tonight and how they're going to eat. And they're just disenfranchised with the system because the system's always hurt them. You know, like why would they care about politics? Why should they care? about what someone's doing in Wellington, um, what would you say to, to rangatahi that are, that are burnt out? That they've seen the system only work against them and they don't want to be involved.
2: Yeah, I don't know if I have the right words, but something that has always stuck with me was, I met a young person a few years ago who had experienced homeless uh, and she had said to me that she would rather be homeless than reach out to the system. Um, you know, and that's kind of it. Was really eye-opening and really scary. You know, scary for me to just listen because we, that's a that's next-level degree of you know people would rather live literally live on the street than seek help from the system that is supposed mm-hmm. to seek and serve our people here yeah. uh, in Aotearoa and they're not. And so that just that in itself is really problematic and, and demonstrates you know all these flaws we already know of the system and how we need to. Dismantle that yeah. and, and change that uh, bit by bit. So, understanding that really puts it into context for me to understand, you know, my responsibility and my privilege and how I use that in terms of the access and spaces that I have for these young people to be able to be heard and that they're valued. And so, I don't have anything to say to that. Them more so. I should be listening to them and listening Mm. to their stories and how I can support them. So that's really just my role in this. It's not a me to tell them what to do. Actually, Mm. we need to be thinking about how we can continue to support them. So that's always been, you know, kind of my role in this space as more of a conduit uh, and a mover and shaker. Um, but understanding this this is where you know our core responsibility and accountability lies is with these young people uh, and so if we can't change that what's the purpose of everything else that we're doing
0: Kia ora. yeah i guess as we as we talk about this and we've sort of spoken around it but we haven't sort of named it is that we almost can't talk about housing inequality without talking about colonization and how that's you know created the landscape we're in like for someone who maybe doesn't see that connection, how would you explain that to them in terms of, and you know, and I guess um, you talked about like you know having these values but not actually living them. What does that mean for someone who maybe is outside of that world and has their blinkers on around that? Like, how would you speak to that?
2: Yeah, I guess you know, for my students, uh, we have similar conversations around you know what does this mean for them, and a majority of them are non-Māori, uh, and the best way to kind of articulate and communicate that is around understanding the history of Aotearoa uh, when they began, and you know the impact of you know colonial settlers once they came onto this land and the inequities from around our land loss uh, and those types of things and the correlation between, you know, how much land we did have from the beginning and right right through to today. So we have 5% land, Māori land left in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and there was a strong correlation between uh, the loss of our people, uh, the land wars through the 1860s and the impression our people continue to face being pushed off their land, that impact, literally put in place to ensure that our people were removed from their lands and their disconnection. So we address that and understand our history, which is embedded within our society. That is when we'll start understanding the impacts of colonisation. That's why you understand how young people may not know who they are or where mm. they come from or, or what, who's, you know, what their whakapapa is or their mm. ancestors are because of this long history of disconnection and line loss to the places that they live in. Uh, and so we understand that and see that You know, from a young person perhaps who's on the street and doesn't know where they're from, this is the impact that we continue to face today with generations of intergenerational trauma. There's just going to be a long time until they are able to recover and heal, and it's going to take a nation to do so. Mm. So, that's the simplest way that I can explain, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Yeah, Um, it's always around, yeah, land and laws,
0: yeah. And so, I'm hearing like really for if you know, for Pakia, especially if you're listening and you don't. Um, you haven't done that journey and learned about colonization, um, it's time to do some work, right? Like, if we're going to address these issues, we need to understand why they're there in the first place, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, I guess, like, as we go out, like, and and we'll be closing soon, but, like, coming out of the site, I mentioned before, like, I read a tweet just recently, I can't remember who said it, but just saying, like, a a real sense of hopelessness, saying, like, yeah, this is awesome, there's cool stuff happening right now, but it's just going to go back to the way it was once this pandemic's over. And so there's like two trains of thought. There's, there's a group of people that want us to go back to dollar is key and let's go back to the way we were because, I mean, that benefits them financially. And there's another group that's saying, well, you know, we wish for transformation, we wish for change, but it's hopeless. So I'm just going to exit. and I'm going to tap out. I mean, what do you say to these different voices? Where can we go from here?
2: Issues around existing economies are not sustainable. Uh, and if, if health and well being are paramount, paramount, sorry genuinely for this country, we really need to rethink some of these uh, approaches that we're doing, uh, which is in STEM, you know, and, and entrenched in the values and how they're carried out. So it's a long way, I think. Mm. Uh, actually, I don't know if human uh, will change. That is always the issue around these behaviors, it's, it's um, the human issue. Uh, And how do we shift that those, you know, again, back to those minds and hearts uh, to inform their practices? Because right now, as we continue to see whānau losing jobs across the country, I I always measure that that's kai and that's food on children's Mm. tables. Uh, So, you know, let's really think about how we're utilizing the land and the whenua right now so that it's it's sustainable and that it's productive, but it is not exploitive. Uh, And Mm. so hopefully we can start to shift that because this could happen again, you know, and it, and I love that one of my colleagues said it might not be her, uh, it will be her last time, but it won't be her mokopuna's last yeah. time of a pandemic. And that's always thinking about that kind of future generations and how we need to really shift our economy and just the way we're doing things. It's just not working. So hopefully um, this is a real lesson uh, and some key learnings uh, to yeah. understand what works and what doesn't uh, so that Fano whā- and families are not struggling again during this time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, imagine that, eh? If we had, uh, had a pandemic like this again and we thought, actually, we've got a covered, you know, everyone's going to eat, everyone's already got warm, safe accommodation, we don't have to be running around like mad people across the city trying to make sure people are housed, wouldn't mm-hmm. that be something?
2: Yeah, I think it'd be great, you know, for that to be documented so that when it is revisited, you'd be able to compare <laughs> from yeah. both sides, but... I, again it is a sense of hopelessness that mm. human will continue to exploit and yeah you know when they exploit land they exploit people so there's an inherent correlation between that and so so we change that future generations potentially will continue to struggle now and in the future
0: yeah and it's that sense of us being connected eh? and, and it's something like I hear a lot with your kōrero. It's it's not just about you now it's about us as a whānau, as a community, and, and, our, and our generations to come, right? Our kids to come. And so it's, once again, the change of mindset, the change of values, moving from that individualism to a collectivist sort of understanding of who we are as a people.
2: Yeah, totally. And I think that's, that's kind of the aspiration right now, uh, because I really feel, you know, right now we still struggle to look after young people and children. Just, you know, being a real pessimistic about this that they will continue to struggle. But if we can do the hard yards now and try to change that, then hopefully it'll be a much better future for them.
0: Kia sure. Well, thanks. Thanks, Jackie. It's been really awesome having you on the show today. We really appreciate your time.
2: Awesome. Thanks for having me. Kia sure. sure.
1: All right. There was Jackie Paul. i take us into a big one here. Straight away off the bat. Intergeneral Rational Trauma.
0: I love Jackie's basically just straight up say Like she's pretty,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> she's pretty onto it. And
1: Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's a massive one, right? Especially when, especially for Māori, because you spoke a lot about inequality and something that has come up a lot recently. Mm. So w- what are your thoughts on that? Particularly when it comes to housing as a basic human right. And we see quite a, and she mentioned Mori having very low home ownership, you know, so ownership of land.
0: I mean, I think there's a reason why Māori are overrepresented in so many negative statistics, right? And We talked a little bit there about like the history of colonisation and for us to understand that we need to understand our past and what has occurred in our past, which has led to today. I think sometimes in like a real Pakia sort of lens, we tend to just focus on today and we try to look to the future, but we ignore where we came from. Yet, everything that has happened, you know, in history sort of like follows on. You know, what happened yesterday affects me today. Mm. Um, What I do today is going to affect me tomorrow. And I think we've seen that, you know, if we look at the poverty in this nation, if we look at, once again, that housing issue where uh, so many Mm. sort of Māori are not living in safe or affordable housing and overrepresented in that. I mean, there's there's something there, right? Like, there's mm. something that has occurred, which is, has led us to this space, which has led us to the space where there's so much inequity between people of different races in Aotearoa New Zealand.
1: Yeah, it's quite a shame that you know a lot of a lot of people are very cut off to sort of what's happened in the past. You know, like you said how they don't feel like it should affect the future, and that it, or that it doesn't impact the future. And as we mentioned in the previous podcast, how there's this pattern with indigenous people in particular, you know, just suffering from immense poverty.
0: Yeah. I mean, like an example of that overrepresentation representation and that, that issue of like land connection there, like an intersection of that issue for me is homelessness and in my space specifically youth homelessness. So in the service that I work with, we can say that at least 80% and I'd hazard that it might be a bit more if we get all the data sort of lined up, rangatahi that enter our service are Māori. You gotta ask the question, okay, what, that's, that's crazy. That's like,
2: <laughs>
0: that is a crazy overrepresentation of a community within experiencing this thing, right? And I think there's something, if we trace that back in terms of what has happened around the displacement of Māori whānau, around our poverty statistics, around how that affects people when they're growing up in poverty and we talked about addiction and trauma and mental illness and all of that sort of stuff and then the the intersection of the state getting involved in sort of uplifting kids and you know all these things just sort of come to a head and if we took the time to actually take steps back down to history and recognized that actually something happened 200 years ago that wasn't that great and asked the question what that was and then started walking forward i think it would start to become really clear. And that's sort of what Jackie was saying. Um, I mean, we're not going to go deep into our history in this uh, podcast, we don't have the time, but she says, until we can understand our history, we'll never understand how colonization impacts us today. And I think that's the thing for us as Pakia to actually open our eyes to. You can see that there is a problem here. To understand that, we actually need to pay attention to where we've come from. And until we do that, we're not going anywhere fast. Mm. But the issue around housing as a basic human right rather than a commodity, I mean, that's a really interesting conversation for me. And I think it's a big one in our culture and our society at the moment as we're faced with this housing crisis. I mean, what were your thoughts on that?
1: I mean, yeah, like, how does something like that affect, you know, viewing it as a human right over a commodity? Like, how does that affect things like development? Because people, I mean, people want to make money of course, they, they develop areas and they buy things, they build houses, they want to make money off it. Are you still encourage development and people to want to invest in areas if they you know they can't make money from it because our problem is affordability, we can't afford it. But if you can't jump in and start messing with the market, when does that start having a negative impact on your ability to produce those housing, the housing that you need?
0: Yeah,
1: I, yeah.
0: I mean, I'm not an economist. But an example of a problem around viewing housing as a commodity is actually something I experienced myself. When Summer and I, we were looking for our next place, we went to a whole bunch of different viewings, heaps. And every viewing we went to, there were so many people there. I mean, this is a common story most of us would have experienced, I think. And I remember this one house we went to that's in our local community. And as soon as we walked in, we were like, this is disgusting. It was cold, it was damp, the walls had like, Wallpaper that was sort of ripped and like coming off and it it was dark and I was like, I can feel myself getting sick just standing here. Anyway, we we spoke to the property manager, we're like, is any repairs happening on this before people move in? And he bragged to us that he had convinced the owner not to make repairs, not to updo the place because he said, hey, we're gonna flick it off in a little bit anyway, so Mm. why bother? That's the problem. The priority is about making money. And when as a community, our value is about me as an individual making the bottom line rather than how we actually serve one another as a community. And there's a whole bunch of economic crap that we've got to work out there. But when our main focus as a community, as business is the bottom line, then people get hurt and they get exploited. And that's what's happening right now.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah, I guess especially we know there's... um. High demand and not enough supply.
0: Well, exactly. So in that scenario, there was families that had followed like we got to know people, right? Because we were all looking turning up at the same house viewings week after week, day after day. Mm. And we saw some whanau who were looking really desperate and were actually seriously considering taking it. And we were like, Man. Yeah, like, that's yeah. You're in a desperate situation if you're thinking that you'll take this place.
1: Yeah, so many people just don't have the choice. <laughs>
0: No, And and that's it. There's there's not enough choice. So as we have focused on stockpiling houses for the few who can afford it, we have created a situation where housing, because it's viewed as a commodity, doesn't have to be livable. It doesn't have to be a good standard. It doesn't have to be safe. Just someone has to be willing to pay for it. And if you're one step off from living on the street you know you got a job you know you can't afford rent but you can't afford much else then you're going to take what you can get and I think that's a bit messed up
1: yeah I mean it's it's crazy there's just down the road from us there's some houses that went up and I think they they were selling for like I don't know 600,000 each it's like one bedroom that just everything's like right up against each other just ridiculously priced It's, it's nuts
0: and, and that's what we talked about in the show, right? like we need a revolution of values. We need to put people at the center. And COVID-19 given us an imagination to show mm. that that's possible, right? Mm. And we're coming out of that now. I mean, when you hear this episode, you know, we'll be out of sort of, I mean, where are we at now? Level two? Who knows? Mm. But as we come out of it, what I'm worried about is already we're starting to lose that, I guess that value on each other. The yeah. Value on people, that value on actually, we've got to make sure everyone's safe, everyone's fed, everyone's looked after. And now it's back to politics, and it's back to the election, and it's back to, well, actually, my team better win because I've got to look after my own interests. Mm. We're not going to get through the upcoming crisis if we only focus on ourselves. We only get through if we look after each other. Yeah, I think that's the reality. And in this climate, it's really easier for us to think, no, my business, myself, my family. Well, if that's the focus and others fall, then we all sort of get sunk down into that, you know. I think as a people, we will be judged, or we are judged by the way we treat the most vulnerable in our society. We can't walk around thinking that we're this nice, kind people, you know, that we sort of got this great rhetoric about, you know, being focused on ca- kindness if we can't look after the most vulnerable in our society, you know.
2: Hmm.
1: One of the things that Jackie, Jackie said was that we're all connected. What do you think it will take for us to, to come through this together?
0: One of the things Jackie mentioned a lot, and I, I don't know if you picked up on it, but there's a lot of we talk in there about us, about our, you know, what we're doing now and how that's going to impact on our future, about planning not just for myself, but for those who come after us for our future generations. And in her corridor, you, you really pick up the sense of a collective response, a collective need, a collective imagination that we need to, as a people, see ourselves as one people and that actually we're far more connected and entwined than we realize. And I think that's what it's going to take for change to happen that we, the people, need to actually come together. And start vocalizing the change that we want to see in our communities, in our whānau, in our nation. Until that happens, there will not be the change we need. I don't believe that we should, that all the blame lies on government or council or people in authority have responsibility, yes. But I think we as people have abdicated a lot of our responsibility to keep them accountable and also to express what we actually want to see. There's a small percentage of our communities that actually are vocal. And if you look at the politics, their interests are are seen and heard and taken into account. I think there's a lot of us who need to start actually being vocal, voting, engaging with politics, going through those processes and actually saying, hey, this is what we want our nation to be. And when that starts happening, I think we'll start to see some of this change. We can't just tweet our outrage that's not going to do much good. Tweet your outrage and then write to your minister. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Just send that. Send that tweet to the minister. <laughs> yeah, right,
0: right over. Yeah, there. yeah.
1: Have you had any dialogue with like your local minister about anything?
0: Well, I I emailed my local minister during this whole thing. So shout out to okay. Paula Bennett. I know you've been busy, but I'm still waiting for a response Is it Paula? from my from my email. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I mean true if not that's on me and embarrassing but i'm pretty sure was one of
1: those. no ways <laughs> yeah.
0: oh. i mean she's gone through a lot at the moment yeah. so you know you've been busy Paul, that's okay. you know you can you can get back to me when you've got some time it's all good Man. so not much luck i did email just send her about something and her office got back to me what does that say
1: oh
0: oh <laughs> me and, she was fighting <laughs> yeah That's that's because me and Jacinda we're tight, right? She's she's working with us. We're going to end homelessness. It's great. Thanks, (laughs) Jacinda.
1: A woman, a woman for the people. That's that's what it is. Yeah, I'm 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 thinking who my who I'm wanting to vote on for the next. Have you been looking at top at all?
0: Top party. Um, Funny story. They liked our Instagram post today.
1: So um, did they? They did. That is one step closer to getting them on to talk about. Something like the UV. Yeah, or actually, funny enough, actually, that, no, no, that, that coming back to Jackie's thing, yeah, <laughs> because we're getting off topic. They want to redesign the way we we build Auckland, mm. and specifically focusing on communities and creating mm. community hubs and all that kind of stuff, um, which is something that she mentioned, as well as along the lines of a thing of build homes and not housing. Mm. But I mean, how do you do that when you when you're having to, like, for example, with, with top that, like, we need to stop spreading out, taking up our fertile land, and we need to go up, up instead of out. Then it's like, man, again, are you getting to building little dingy spots that people just post up in, or?
0: Uh, we'll have to ask them, man. We'll have to ask them. Yeah. So I mean, I think you've probably heard enough from us. We're at that time of night where we're starting to, the coffee's cold and um we're starting to ramble so yeah. forgive us but um you know we'll see you next week we got a we got a great episode for you next week we're speaking to jay ricka about i guess some of the stuff that we're talking about right now about totality, about colonization and about a way forward so i'm actually really looking forward to that show so hope for you to tune in mm, nice see you next week
2: Of silent the podcast rate and review us on itunes or wherever you are listening and join the conversation by following us on facebook twitter or instagram the music from this podcast is from the album dissonance by jess jackson and leon shelley listen to more from these artists on spotify